And uh, if we, the rest of us please could turn to uh, 1 Corinthians and chapter 6 and verse 12. One Corinthians six and verse twelve, and this is found on page one thousand one hundred and thirty-four in the black-covered church Bibles. One Corinthians chapter six and verse twelve. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be dominated by anything. Food, for the, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. But for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord. And will also raise us. Up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ? And make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits, it's outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Well, keep your Bible open and we will ask God to help us now as we uh, think about his word. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity now to uh, consider your word together. And we pray that as we do so, you will speak to us. And we pray that you'll help us to hear what you have to say to us through your word. And we pray that uh, you will, uh, if necessary, change our thinking and change our behavior so that it will become closer to how you would have it to be. So we commit, the, commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have um, this morning a, a sort of like a one-off 
uh, opportunity uh, between the series in 2 Corinthians, which I finished last week, and when in the autumn I hope to start a new series, which I'm thinking at the moment probably will be uh, from the early chapters of Genesis. And over the next few weeks we are going to be having uh, some visiting speakers. Uh, and um, as I was thinking praying about what to speak about this morning, it seemed to me that it would be good to speak from this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul warns believers in the church against the sin of sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is any sexual activity that takes place outside of the covenant of marriage or fantasizing about such activity. Now, why do I need to speak about this? Someone might say, oh, isn't this too much of a crude subject to talk about in church? Especially when uh, we might have children present. Well, I think we really do need to address this issue today. Let me give you some reasons why we need to address this issue. First of all, because sex has become such a large part of modern culture. We are confronted with sex in almost every area of the life. You can't go on a browser, on a computer, or without uh, being confronted with, with suggestive pictures. Uh, sex is embedded into many advertisements. It's hard to find a film to watch that doesn't have some uh, allusion or even direct portrayal of sexual activity and nude scenes in it. Uh, probably all of us are going to therefore be tempted uh, sexually, if only in our minds. But then also, because standards in society have become very debased. Uh, I'm going to sound like an old man now. Well, I am an old man. <laughs> but when I was growing up, um, if a couple were in a sexual relationship, probably some of us can remember this, people would say in sort of hushed tones, oh, you know, they're living in sin, you know. And it would be rather, you know, it would be a matter of shame. And uh, if there was a pregnancy, then the, the woman would be spirited away to some mothers and babies' home and she'd have, have the baby in quiet and, and then the baby would be put out for adoption. Now, I'm not saying that was good practice at all, but what I'm saying is that there was this sense in society that you don't do that, that you, you don't have sex outside of wedlock. But... Uh, things are very different these days, aren't they? Uh, it's now completely accepted that men and women should have a sexual relationship without being married. Uh, people talk about having a partner as if, well, that's, that's respectable because this is my partner. 
The only thing that's wrong, considered wrong now is if you cheat on your partner uh, while that relationship is still going on. Another reason why I think we need to talk about this today is because of the current economic situation. Life has always been hard, but rents are so high now that people, uh, many people, are, are reason with themselves along this line. They say, well, my girlfriend and I can't afford to live separately, so we'll share accommodation. We plan to get married, but we can't afford the ceremony that our family expects us to have So, at the moment. So what we'll do is we'll live together as a practical arrangement until we can get married, save up enough money to get married. We won't do anything, but of course we all know that what happens before long, the inevitable happens and the couple starts to engage in sexual activity. Another reason why we need to talk about this is because there is such widespread acceptance of literature that glamorizes sex outside of marriage. Um, in the last 20 years or so, there's been a great plethora of books which talk in very graphic terms, novels which talk in very graphic terms. And these are being read by, you know, people on... On the, on the commute journeys on, 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 the, on, the, on, the, on the tube it's ordinary people are reading this, this very salacious stuff or listening to it and then of course also there's the whole matter of pornography again I'm going to sound like an old man but when I was growing up the, of course there was pornography but it was, there was there would be a top shelf in the news agent and and things would be behind wraps and it would take quite a daring person to go into that news agent and could I say, could I have that copy of whatever it is please and ask for it and there were these barriers which made it very difficult for people to get hold of pornography but today as we know anybody with a mobile phone or anybody with a computer old or young wherever they are can very easily access pornography and even children from very young age, are often being subjected to the most horrendous, uh, depraved pornography. And then, of course, also the, 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 the very widespread availability of smart, so-called smartphones and the very wide use of, of social media, which it means that all sorts of very inappropriate images are being spread around Again, sometimes among very young children. And so even children as young as 12 or 13 are getting addicted to this stuff. And then on top of that, there is a very strong push to, to, to have ever more graphic sex education lessons. And these are supposed to, oh, this is to stop unwanted pregnancies, we're told. This is to help there to be greater sexual health. But of course, what happens is that, that, that children are being introduced to and, and being sexualized, effectively, from a very young age and being encouraged to experiment with these things. And so, yeah, we do need to talk about what the Bible says on this subject.
there's a very high probability there will be at least one person who is regularly watching pornography, uh, who listens to this, this, uh, this, this sermon. And probably all of us will be tempted in one way or another. And I would also encourage you to listen because even if you, know, you say, I'm not interested in sex, I'm not, I haven't been for a long, long time, I'm way past that, okay, that may well be the case, but you may need to help somebody else. But also what is said here in this passage is relevant not just to the area of sex, but the whole area of how we use our bodies. And so even if you're not tempted in this area, I hope you will listen uh, very carefully to what we have to say today. And so um, as we... uh, Think about this passage. Let me, I just want to give, give, before we go into the detail of the passage, I want to just give you a little bit of background. Because this letter was written by Paul to a church in Corinth. And it might be helpful to know, for you to know, that Corinth was actually not that dissimilar to 21st century London. Uh, let me just read you an excerpt from an online um, Encyclopedia. Corinth, it says, played a central role in influencing Greek culture due to its location. Corinth is a port city that is located between Athens and Sparta, and it offers trade through land and sea, making it more wealthy than other cities. Corinth's neighbours saw it as an, exter- as, an, as an external location, separate from others' customs and ways of life. Corinth, where the goddess of Love, Aphrodite, was born, was also known for its sexuality. Corinth's temples are known as the ones that were the most socially accepting of prostitution. Greek geographer Strabo described Corinth's Corinth's lust to to the civilians. He said that the temple of Aphrodite once had acquired more than a thousand prostitutes donated by both men and women to the service of the goddess. So, no doubt, many of the members of the church to which Paul wrote had previously, before they were converted, engaged in sex with such prostitutes. And he knew there was a great risk that they would go back to that. Now, this passage, of course, is not the only passage that speaks about the matter of sexual immorality. Uh, The whole of scripture uh, teaches that any sexual activity that takes place out of the covenant of marriage between one biological man and one biological woman is sinful. So Genesis 2 verse 24 uh, is the foundation stone for that, um, which this is quoted by both Jesus and Paul. In fact, as we'll see, is alluded to in this passage in 1 Corinthians It says, therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That that tells us that the, the place for sex to happen is within the covenant of marriage. And within the covenant of marriage, it is good and right. There's nothing sinful about it. But anything outside of that covenant of marriage is sinful. So the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments says, 
you shall not commit adultery. Uh, and in the book of Proverbs, there are many warnings about uh, sexual immorality and engaging in prostitution. And the prophets also frequently warn against sexual immorality. And what the Apostle Paul does here is to build on this foundation and to give reasons why a Christian should not be involved in sexual immorality. Now what he says is not contradicting what's gone before. It's building on that foundation. But he's giving additional reasons why a Christian should not be involved in sexual immorality. And he argues on the basis of the place of our bodies in the Christian life. If you are a Christian, your body is important. Because your body has, is, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body has been united with Christ. Your body has been bought with the precious blood of Christ. So what you do with your body matters. It's really important that you use your body to glorify God. So let's come now to this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, I want you to see with me, note with me, six things that this passage tells us about the body of the Christian. First of all, the body is meant for the Lord and not for sexual immorality. Have a look with me at verse 13. It says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now what Paul here was doing here was that he, he was quoting a saying, a non-Christian saying, that people were, say, were saying, oh, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. It's enough to say, well, look, Life is just about eating and drinking. And the body is just for food. It's just for the, it's just for the enjoyment of, 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 of physical pleasures. And the implication was, well, sex is just another bodily function. Eating food is a neutral thing. It's a harmless activity. Nothing wrong with eating food. Well... People would say, well, sex is just the same. You can just enjoy sex. It doesn't really matter. It's just, it's just an ordinary, neutral bodily function. Now, there were some ancient philosophers who taught this. They said they made a, di a distinction between the, the body and the soul or the spirit. And they said, well... All that really matters, all that's really important or moral is what happens with the soul or the spirit. They said, what happens with the body it doesn't matter. It's, it's immaterial. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect anything because that's just the body. That's like the lower plane of life. The higher plane is the, is the soul or the spirit. 
And this, what Paul was aware of is that this, could, this wrong thinking could easily come into the church. Now, we have people who say that sort of thing today, don't we? People say, well, you know, uh, how, involved, being involved in, in, in a sexual relationship, it doesn't really matter at all. It, it's, it's just a, a purely physical thing, they would say. Uh, it falls outside of the area of morality. It, they'd say it's just a, a, an amoral activity. And what Paul answers to that is no, that is not true. He says, second of verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. What happens in your body is important because your body was made by God. And your body belongs to God. And as a Christian, you are called to glorify God in your body with what you do with your body. Paul, for example, says in Romans 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, in the light of all that God has done for us, Paul says, hand your body over to God. To be a spiritual act of worship. Everything that you do with your body is to be done for the glory and honor of God. What your body is important. Now, next thing to see is that our bodies will be raised from the dead. Look at verse 14 now. And God raised the Lord. And will also raise us up by his power. Our bodies are going to be raised from the dead. And having been raised from the dead, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And... Following that appearance of the judgment seat of Christ, how we live through the rest of eternity will depend upon what we've done while we've been in the body. Now, of course, the big issue will be, have you been saved? Did you ever come to Christ for salvation? That's going to be the big, most important thing. Are you condemned or not condemned? But even for those of us who are saved... There will also be an assessment of what we've done, how we've lived, while we've been in the body. And what you do as a believer while you're in the body will, if you've, if you've lived for Christ, it will be rewarded. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, speaking to Christians, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. 
whether good or bad. So that's the second thing. We, our bodies will be raised from the dead. Now the third thing to see is this. That the body of a believer is united with Christ. Look now with me at verses 15 to 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall we then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. And, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now there are two very important doctrines that these verses touch upon. First is that we who believe are joined to Christ. Your body, if you're a Christian, your body is joined to Christ. We are in Christ. Mind, soul, and body, as believers, we're joined to Christ. But also, when you have sex with somebody, you're joined to that person. That's the second thing. Now, Paul here alludes to that verse that I mentioned, Genesis 2, verse 24, which is the foundation of marriage. And he gives there the correct interpretation when it says the two will become one flesh. Clearly what that's talking about is that when a man and a woman join together in sexual union, their bodies are joined together. Not literally, physically, but in some psychological or spiritual way, they, they are joined together. And so what Paul says is, look, your body is joined to Christ, but if you join with a prostitute, you're joining, therefore joining Christ to a prostitute. How could that happen? That's unthinkable. Now you might answer me and say, well, but my girlfriend is no prostitute. How dare you call, imply that my girlfriend is a prostitute? Of course not. I'm not saying that at all. And the scripture isn't saying that. But if you sleep with your girlfriend... Or if you're a woman, you sleep with your boyfriend. You're joining Christ in that sin. You're involving Christ because you're united to Christ. Fourthly, the body is particularly hurt by sexual sin. Let's look now at verse Second half of verse 18. No, so verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits, it's outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. When you sin sexually, you sin against your body in a unique way. So how could that be? Surely all sin affects our bodies in different ways. Well, yes, but there's a particular way in which sexual sin hurts your body. And it must spring from what we've just seen about how 
the, the act of sexual union, you're joining yourself with somebody else. You become one flesh with that person. If you become one flesh with somebody to whom you're not married, you have a problem. Because sooner or later that relationship is going to come to an end. And when that relationship then comes to an end, your flesh gets ripped apart. Part of you, in a sense, gets left behind. This is why breakups for people who've been in sexual unions are so difficult, so traumatic. Because there's a, there's a ripping apart of your soul and your, and your mind and your body. You, 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 you really are damaged and hurt by what's happened. Much more than if, if you just had a friendship with that person and then that friendship came to an end. And so uh, sexual sin is really bad for you. It really harms your body and harms your mind. And then fifthly, fifth thing we see is that the apostle says that the believer, his body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Now, if you know your Bible, you'll know that the, the Old Testament temple was a holy place, a sacred place. There are all sorts of rules about who was allowed to go into the temple, how it had to be looked after, and so on and so forth. Because this was the holy place where God lived among his people. And what the Apostle Paul here says is that if you're a Christian, your body is that holy place where God lives. God, the Holy Spirit, has taken up residence in your body. So it should be treated as a, as a very holy and a very special place. And then finally, sixthly, we see from this passage that the body of a believer has been bought with the blood of Christ. This, this ties up with what we're thinking about in the, just before the communion in 1 Peter. He says, second half of verse 19, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. Your body, if you're a Christian, your body has got a very high price on it. It's been bought with the blood of the eternal Son of God. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Jesus Christ. He's purchased it with his own blood. And therefore, it is to be treated, it is to be treated as something which is very, very important and uh, sacred, belonging to Christ. So let's just now, having drawn out those six points from, uh, from this passage, let me just quickly 
recap those ones uh, for you. Um, the body is meant for the Lord and not for sexual immorality. Our bodies will be raised from the dead. Uh, the body of a believer is united with Christ. The body is particularly hurt by sexual sin. The body of a believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the body of a believer has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Now let me just draw out some applications. First of all, let me just draw out some applications just in general life about, forgetting sex for a moment, just in general life about how we treat our bodies. We should look after our bodies. Um, this is why it's not a good thing for a Christian to smoke because you're going to harm your body. It's not good for a Christian to take narcotic drugs. You're going to harm your body and with many of those drugs you're going to harm your mind as well. Damage your mental health. That's why a Christian shouldn't get drunk. It's why a Christian should not overeat. But it's also why a Christian shouldn't undereat. You know, some don't eat enough. We should eat enough, but not too much. It's why a Christian should take exercise as he or she is able. Not everybody can, of course. But as we're able to, it's good to take exercise. Uh, it's why a Christian should avoid unnecessary risks. Uh, it's why a Christian should not deface his body with tattoos. Your body's been given to you by God. Why are you going to draw graffiti all over your body? Leave it alone. And it's also, of course, why a Christian should not self-harm. We should not harm our bodies. And risk the health of our bodies, even our life. You might feel sad, you might feel depressed. But don't, whatever you do, do anything to yourself. Because your body has been given to you by God. It's precious, it's holy. Well, then what about for uh, this matter of sexual immorality? Well, we need to heed what the Apostle says here. He says, flee from sexual immorality. If you're facing temptation, run for it. Get out of that situation. Don't put yourself in harm's way. So be careful about what you expose yourself to. Be careful about the books or magazines that you read. Before you decide to go and watch a film, check out. There are websites which will tell you now how suitable a film is and what, what illusions there are or you know, if there's any nudity or anything else. Check that out. And if there's anything in that film with any nude scenes or anything else, just say, I'm not going to see it. Just don't bother. Okay, you might have to say to your friend, no, I've never seen it. But don't care, because it's too dangerous to you. Uh, be very careful um, with, with, with the internet. There are these, yeah, we all see them, don't we? These, these, these adverts that come up, on, you're on your browser, and this advert comes up. 
Don't go down that, don't click on that thing. Instead, find the, the little button which says, I'm not interested in this ad. And hopefully, eventually, the cookies on your computer will say to, to oh, this guy's not interested in this sort of thing anymore. Or, you know, and and, and uh, you won't get these things coming up. But shun these things. Uh, we need to be so careful, don't we? And uh, instead of and uh, um, and and. Uh, If you are single, then look, if possible, to get married. Ask the Lord to provide you with a spouse, if you, especially if you're tempted in this area. Um, Paul talks in the next passage, the next chapter, in chapter, th- chapter 7, about how marriage has been given to by, by God as a, as a way out of sexual sin. So if this isn't a temptation for you, then ask the Lord to provide. Now, he may or may not provide, but ask the Lord if he could provide for you a good Christian spouse. And uh, if you are married, then focus all your attention, all your desires upon your own spouse and not on anybody else. Now, of course, those who are perhaps going to be most tempted in this area will be those who are in the relationship. Perhaps you've got a boyfriend, perhaps you've got a girlfriend, and obviously you're naturally going to feel attracted to to your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And you're going to have to be very, very careful until such time as you are married to make sure that you don't slip into sin. You might not intend to slip into sin, but you might land up slipping into sin. So be very careful. Set rules for yourself. Try to, you know, back, back in the days, people would often have what they call a chaperone. You know, a friend who would keep them company when they're with, with their boyfriend or little girlfriend. And so that they can uh, lessen the risk of falling into sin. Uh, don't stay overnight uh, in the same place as, as your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You're asking for trouble if you do. Um, don't go into a bedroom together. Be in a lounge with others around so that you spare yourself from that sort of temptation. Now, it may be that somebody might listen to this at some point who is already cohabiting with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Perhaps you've been cohabiting for many years. Perhaps you've had children together. What should you do? Well, Clearly, according to scripture, uh, that situation is wrong and it needs to be rectified. If, if it would be appropriate for you to get married, then you should get married and do so as, as quickly as you reasonably can. It doesn't need to be a big ceremony. It can, you can just visit the registry office and get the, get the deed done as long as uh, you are quite sure that you... That you uh, that you want, both want to marry and, and, uh, and you believe before the Lord it's okay and right for you to marry. If not, then you should go your separate ways. 
But this is very important. We cannot continue in this sin. If we do, great harm will come to us. Well, I hope this is helpful for us and I hope that the Lord would use this to uh, speak to us all. I have been addressing us as this passage does on the basis that we're Christians. Of course, some of us here may not yet be Christians. Well, the teaching is still the same. You must not be involved in sexual immorality. But of course, the first thing you need to do is to come to Christ. You cannot begin to overcome this sin properly without knowing Christ as your own saviour. So come to Christ first. Let Jesus wash away your sins. And then, by his grace, live in a new way. Well, I'm sure that all of us, in one way or another, have failed the Lord in this matter. If not physically, maybe in in our minds, in our thoughts, in our desires. And may God have mercy upon us.